Are you ready to know your worth and identity in the body of Christ? Are you ready for kingdom conversations with kingdom people? Welcome to the Recovery to Recovered podcast. I'm your host, Caleb McCall, and I will be guiding you through the word with preaching and teaching and empower you to know who you are in Christ Jesus. Hello and welcome in to episode 15 today. You are in for a treat today. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today to episode 15 on the Recovery to Recovered podcast, where we believe recovery is something that happens in you. It's not something that happens to you, where we believe there is a road to recovery, but it ends on a street called Redeemed. Like I said in the beginning here, you are in for a treat today, folks. I have uh, one of my good friends with me here today, Mr. Bryson Davis. Bryson, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Pastor Caleb. How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. So pumped to have you on the show today. Um, we're going to do an interview today with um, Bryson and share a little bit about our testimony between ourselves, which is a powerful thing of forgiveness. You know, the title to today's episode is uh, Forgiveness Reigns and Love Prevails. And so we're going to talk about some things today um, that happened between me and Bryson, things that have happened um, since he's went through our program. Bryson is actually our latest graduate of Be the Bush Recovery Ministry. So praise God for that, man. You did it, brother. You did it. <laughs> so we're super proud of Bryson and what God has done in his life. It is a testimony. His life is an absolute testimony to the power of God. And when a man just turns his life over to Jesus, what he can do in his life. So excited to jump into today's episode. Please play, pay close attention for the next couple of minutes. I'm telling you today, this thing is going to encourage you today of what God has done in this man's life, what God has done between me and him and the restoration and the reconciliation that's happened between me and him. Because I'm telling you right now, Jesus is still doing it. Jesus is still reconciling people. Jesus is still healing people. And Jesus is still working miracles. So Bryson, man, why don't you tell me a little bit about your childhood. Tell our listeners a little bit about your childhood and, and how you grew up, brother. Okay, so I am 28, soon to be 29. Next month, October the 9th, I was born in 1991 um, to a loving mother named Amy Jones. I'm actually at her house right now. She's Shout outside. out to Amy Jones, right? <laughs> Shout out to mama, man. Been <laughs> yeah. there the whole, got to see all of this stuff unfold. Um, yeah. But yeah, basically mom's always been a big part of my life. Um, my mom and my stepdad, uh, or my mom and my dad, rather, got a divorce when I was young. She got remarried pretty early on in my life, so I always remember my stepdad being in the picture. So he is dad. So right. when you look back at it, my life was about as normal as you could ask for. I, you know, my family was blessed. They gave me anything I ever asked for. I didn't want for anything. Mm -hmm. um, so family was always, uh, you know, something something close, near and dear to my heart. Um, kind of moved down to Manchester uh, at the age of three to four and started going to school here. So basically, I was raised in Manchester. I was born up in Grundy, came down to Manchester and spent my childhood down here from kindergarten all the way through graduation. Amen. Yeah, good deal. And you grew so you grew up playing sports. I remember, you know, me and you have a lot of the same testimony. I mean, you grew up playing sports tell us a little bit about you know my sport was basketball yours was baseball so tell me a little bit about that and just 
how you grew up when it comes to sports. I, I think you probably line up with the the way of thinking that I did. You felt like your identity was found in sports and how good you were and how good you did in school. You talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, basically, I went to school to play ball. Like that's mm-hmm. that's all that I knew from the time that I was a little kid. You know, you ask kids what they what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a police officer, a firefighter. I want to do this. I want to do that. Well, for me, I wanted to play baseball. Right. That's yeah. All I ever knew from the time that I was playing with bugs in the outfield, you know, to the time mm-hmm. that I was uh, graduating high school. And I was, I was pretty talented, man. Um, I would say very talented. I got a full scholarship to play college baseball. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I would, I would say it was a huge part of my life, man. And that's kind of part of the testimony too. Um, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, I remember all the other baseball players, man, they would hang out and do stuff together. Well, me, I was a little bit more mischievous. I kind of wanted to experiment with drugs. So I was doing all this stuff, starting baseball games, hitting home runs while I was high and drunk. So it was kind of one of those things, man. Yeah. When did you start, when did you start using drugs and drinking? I started experimenting when I was, I would say a freshman in high school. I never was really a heavy drinker. I would say a social drinker, Mm -hmm. but I'm six foot five. So I drink a lot more than the rest of them. Yeah, I started experimenting with drugs, smoking weed, uh, doing X pills, acid, all that stuff in high school pretty early on before I even started driving. So, yeah, yeah. So you were right. Yeah. So you were probably around 14, 15 years old when you started uh, dabbling in the party scene. And so that went on until you were what, 20? When did you enter the program? 27 or 28? How old was I? No, I turned 28 in the program. Okay. I, so I came were... in on September the 16th and I had a birthday the next month. So okay. I'd been in the program. For a gotcha. Gotcha. And so um, I know me and you kind of, we actually met when you were in high school. I don't know if I mentioned this before, you know, me and Bryson were really good friends growing up. Um, we met each other in high school. I think you had mentioned before we jumped on, you was actually buying drugs for me. It's no secret on this podcast show. Everybody knows that I used to be a drug dealer who had turned into a, a straight up addict over my years of dealing and willing and all those things and sports in, sports injuries kicked in my opioid addiction that I had very bad. Um, and so we had met um, while you were in high school and then through high school and our young adult years, we used to run around with each other a lot and actually got very, very close. Um, uh, I considered you to be one of my good friends um, back then. And, you know, uh, when it comes to sports, uh, we can dabble into it a little bit. I mean, but one of the one of the other addictions we had, we had addiction to doing drugs, of course. We had an addiction to selling drugs, which was making the fast money. I mean, we just always always did that together I was addicted to that just as much as I was any type of drug and then me and you also have a history of something else with with steroids I mean it was no secret with us back in the day I mean and and uh, talk about that a little bit because you know some people just think oh well it's it's okay you're working out you're trying to be healthy blah 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 man did that not for you did it not change the dynamic of your mindset along with being a, a drug addict and um, a broken individual and then we we added that on top of our life which should just made things a wreck did it not absolutely yeah man um well first and foremost um I was kind of ignorant at that age I didn't really do any research on what I was doing I had no idea what I was putting in my body mm-hmm. um 
all I knew it was going to make me look good. It was going to make me perform better. And, uh, you know, that's all that, that I'd heard about it. You know, I didn't hear about any of the other negative side effects or what I was going to be looking at down the road. Um, so I typically what you hear about is football players doing it to, you know, get bigger, stronger, faster. That was kind of the case for me in baseball as well. Um, you don't hear about many pitchers, I guess, Roger Clemens, but, um, so I really did it for a combination of the performance and I just wanted to look good. You know, I, yeah. I was, uh, I had self-acceptance issues and I felt like if I looked good, man, everybody else is going to accept me. If I accept right. myself then everybody else is going to accept me. So, right. but little did I know, man, you're rearranging all these hormones in your body mm -hmm. at a young age when your hormones aren't even necessarily developed like right. they need to be in the first yeah. place. When you put that on top of full-blown drug addiction, alcoholism, and just overall an aggressive attitude, mm -hmm. you just you got a recipe for disaster, man. So <laughs> yeah. I, I found my, you can, you can vouch for this, man. Whenever we rolled up to a party, man, everybody went the other way. Nobody yes, wanted to have yes. anything to do with us. And like, I got, right. I got to thinking one day, I was like, man, we don't go out without getting into a fight. Like we never right. went out and didn't get to a fight. We got kicked out of Coconut Bay 15, 20 times. How do you even yeah. get kicked out of that many times? Yeah, when you show up to a party in the world and the world doesn't even accept you, you might have an issue in your life, right? <laughs> we got a big problem. We got big problems. Right, People yeah. People and drunk and they're like, oh, goodness, here come these guys. Yeah. Like, Wow, you're in a bad place, man. Right. When, when sinful people don't even accept you, you might have an issue and a problem in your life, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, it was it was just a big time mess. So it, it was I'm 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 lucky to have made it even just through the early stages of my life, man. You know, it's just it's just big one big long testimony, man, racking up them testimonies out there. But right. Yeah, brother, it's just uh, it it was it was definitely a wild lifestyle for sure, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I look back on those things and uh, you know, us just being close and we're getting to where you're at now and, and what God's done in your life here in just a second. But I mean, I look back on, on our lives, man, and I'm just like, man, it's just a miracle that we are alive between car wrecks, um, you know, all these fights, people coming after you, you know, you doing dirty things to people like in the, in the streets and, and where we come from, our background the things that we used to do to people was literally dangerous. I mean, because, you, you know, I know one of our things with our testimony, we're not saying any of these things to glorify them. So please hear our hearts and listen to us. We're just painting the picture for you here so that you can understand the restoring power of Jesus and the, the restorating restoration power of Jesus. So we're not, we're not glorifying any of this, but when you run around and rob people in the drug game all the time, it is a dangerous thing. It is an absolute miracle that, that nobody had had killed us that we had had done one of these things too it, it was just an absolute miracle so right. you, you reap what you sow man that's not just mm -hmm. a biblical principle that goes even right earthly standard man you reap you 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 get what you what you right. sow. yeah when god says something in the earth it is established whether you are a believer or not when god says you reap what you sow guess what if you're a human being on the earth you will reap what you sow when god says a thing it is established and, um, you know, his hand upon us, his mercy and grace, um, even while we were in the world is an absolute miracle. I want to jump into this real quick, Bryson. So how old were you? So Bryson, uh, you know, I remember when you had left, um, to the Navy, we was hanging out at the time. Um, you had just said, you know, man, I've, I've got to do something. I need to change. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe your family had helped you make this decision because life was out of control. And you're like, I'm going to join the Navy. And that for you at the time, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you thought that was going to be the thing that changed you and saved you right from the addiction. You want to yeah. talk about that for a little bit? Well, see, it, it started out with baseball. That's what, that's what's going to save me. But unfortunately, um, and you can, you can vouch for this as well. Like you can't, you, even if you run away, man, you can't, you take yourself with you. So right. I went to college, I went to, to Vol State on a full ride scholarship, was addicted to drugs the whole time. Um, somehow was managing at that time, but I ended up uh, catching an injury. I tore my labrum. Um, I lost my biological father. So there's a bunch of things that just led up to me eventually losing my scholarship. Wasn't ever, ever, ever able to come back and throw a baseball game like I did. So, um, and like I told you guys earlier, I was only in school to play baseball. Right, Even going right. into college, they asked, what do you want to do? Man, I don't know what I want. I'm here to play baseball. I don't know what right, you're talking right. about. I got to go to class. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I never really had any direction in my life other than I knew I was going to play baseball on TV. That's all I knew. I'm going to play professional baseball. So right. it was really detrimental to my psyche whenever um, I lost that scholarship and I knew baseball was, you know, just a distant mm-hmm. memory, man. Um, you know, battling full-blown addiction, it just started to spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. And I got an opportunity to join the military, and I really thought that was going to save me. That was um, in the year 2013. I went to MEPS and ended up leaving for basic March of that year. So, yeah, I thought that's what was going to do it, man. I was like, you know, the, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go across the world. I'm going to get out of Manchester, man. This is going to save my life. I'm good to go, man. Right. You know, but fortunately, like you said, man, I, I took myself with me. So, yeah, I, I put the uh, – I put the drugs down because we had, uh, you know, pretty routine drug tests, but I picked right. the bottle up and I started drinking really heavy. So yeah, just, they didn't, they didn't care if you drank, did they? No, man. No, no, no. No, it yeah. was encouraged for sure. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. It's the, it's part of the, part of the culture there in the military lifestyle is that, and you know, I remember, I just want to throw this in there. Like my dad was a scout for the Cleveland Indians at the time, part-time, and he was coaching college baseball at a school. Me and you almost went to the same college. I was going to be playing basketball there, and you were going to be playing baseball. I remember you come down and visited. I, I don't remember if you had pitched for my dad or what, but I remember you coming down and visiting and picking me up. We went back to Tennessee and stuff like that. But, you know, so we almost wound up playing college ball together. But yeah. that didn't work out. You had found your identity in baseball. That didn't work out. And then you said, I'm going to join the Navy. I'm going to, I'm going to run across the globe. I'm going to have a good time. This is what's going to save me. And this is where our relationship, man, turns for the worse, man. I mean, this, this is where it got, got pretty crazy between me and you. Yeah. I hope everybody. Yes. Let me, let me help our listeners right now. You are about to hear, a quick testimony of just the supernatural power of God when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation. So, you know, yes, put your seatbelts on for this next thing, because I'm going to go ahead and mention it right now. So when you joined the Navy, I was, this was in 2013, like what you had just said, you had joined the Navy then and you get stationed, uh, what was it, Oceana? It was Oceana, it was Virginia Beach, Oceana. Virginia Beach, Oceana. And then at that time, you know, everybody's, a lot of our listeners, y'all have heard my testimony. And in 2013, I was in a toxic relationship and wound up marrying my wife in 2000. And I think it was, uh, 11 and we were back and forth, back and forth. We were, 
um, uh, I guess you could say high school sweethearts, but uh, our relationship was absolutely toxic. Uh, we were no good for each other. And we had been going off and on, off and on as far as being together, not being together since, you know, we got married. And she did kind of the same thing that that Bryson did. And she joined the Navy and says, you know, she was in active addiction with me. And she said, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to join the Navy and I want you to come with me, Caleb. And and uh, we were separated at the time. I think we'd been separated like almost 10 months. And uh, she said, I'm going to join the Navy. I'm going to get us out of here and we'll have a fresh new start. Well, she went through boot camp and then she wound up leaving and abandoning my son and me. And she wound up on the same base as Bryson. Mm -hmm. And uh, what had happened is her and Bryson, just being honest here, right, Bryson, we're going to let it all hang loose today. So her and Bryson started hanging out. They're both in their masks. They're both drinking. Um, and they start hanging out and having a relationship. I find out about it. And uh, Bryson had a fiance at the time. And she had actually reached out to me, told me everything that was going on between them two. And then me and her started hanging out. And that is all we'll say about those two things. Um, but it, it created a wedge between me and Bryson um, to where, I mean, I wanted to hurt him very, very bad. And he wanted to hurt me pretty bad. Uh, we've had that conversation before, man. I mean, it was like, there was so much animosity between us. And, and I say this, like, really ashamed of myself, actually, of what I'm about to tell you. And what I'm about to say over the airwaves right now, but I was lost. So I mean, what can I I mean, I literally went to bed at night thinking about how I could hurt Bryson and get away with it. Mm -hmm. Like my mind was consumed with hatred toward this man who's on the podcast with us today. And, you know, I don't know how mad he actually was at me, but but I know I was extremely upset and mad with him. Um, but Bryson, do you want to share anything else about that? I mean, uh, you know, if if not, we can move on about the reconciliation that yeah. happened, but I just want to I just want to kind of touch on the severity of it. Yeah, you kind of laid it out plain and simple for everybody yeah. just how it is, but I think I remember one of I was actually I had just gotten off deployment or something. I can't remember what it was, but I had been on deployment for 10 or 11 months. And one of the first phone calls I got was from you. And I remember the one of the last times that we talked, we basically agreed that next time we see each other, one of us is going to die. We're going to yeah. shoot the guy. Like that's literally, yeah. and this is, we weren't just talking to each other. This no. was, this was a, a vow. We, yeah. One of us is not going to make it next time we see each other. So yeah. that's kind of where we left everything off. So you kind of, you can kind of just, you can imagine the tension that we had between yeah. each other. Well, man, to be honest, dude, I have not, because I know I was high when I said that to you, um, but I haven't even thought about that since, uh, since that has happened. You know, it's kind of a blur for me, but I remember being in my sister's driveway and talking to you. When you mentioned that, man, it brought it to my remembrance. I remember exactly where I was at when we had that conversation. I was in my sister's driveway at the time and just extremely mad, extremely angry and 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 I was convinced, man, you know, and I know you were too, that one of us wasn't going to walk away the next time that we met each other. So let's get into that, what actually happened the next time we did see each other. So I, that was 2013. In 2015, so you was in the Navy and you was, that might have actually been 2014 when I talked, when we talked to each other. Um, I think it was actually maybe 2015, closer to 2016, honestly, because... I did four years 
Well, it couldn't have been because I was in Team Challenge in 2015, so it had to be 2014, I think. When we talked? Yes, when okay. we talked. Okay. But, yeah, so, I mean, that happens. Um, we talk on the phone, and then in 2015, I give my life to the Lord. I give my life to the Lord in my sister's driveway, and then I go to Team Challenge, and I spent a year in Team Challenge, so it was 2016 when I came back. And then I don't know if it was 2016 or 2017 when I met you in the parking lot at Canvas, but do you remember kind of how that played out? Yeah, I remember uh, we were. I was with a mutual friend, one of the one of the guys that we actually grew up with. So we had a kind of a group of guys, and this was one of the guys from the group. And he had mm-hmm. mentioned something about – I didn't know that you were affiliated with Canvas. I just knew through uh, actually another mutual friend that you had changed your life around. I'd kind of been seeing some of the testimonies on Facebook and, you know, see what the Lord had really done in your life. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't know that you were affiliated with Canvas, but this mutual friend was like, hey, we need to go to church. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, whatever, man. We'll, whatever you want to do, brother, <laughs> I just we'll go to church just so we can get out and go do what we need to do. Yeah. Um he said, Caleb's actually, uh, I don't, I can't remember if you were pre- you were teaching a class at that time. I don't know if you were the associate pastor at that time or what it was. Yeah, but I was just a young adult like, pastor. Hey, yeah. Do what now? I was the young adult pastor. Y'all had come to a young adult service. Yeah. It was a Wednesday night or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. Anyways, he said, yeah, Caleb wants to see you. And I was like, Caleb wants to see me, you know, cause I, I instantly reverted back to the last time we had talked. I was like, yeah what do you mean he wants to see me like he wants to see me see me (laughs) Uh, so I didn't know what to expect man I was like whatever you know let's we'll we'll go we'll see what what he has to say and uh man I just remember pulling up in the parking lot and you just being as happy as can be and rolling over and giving me a hug and I will never forget it you said this is what the forgiveness of Christ looks like and I was Lord I couldn't even I could I just I could I couldn't, it was just, it was overwhelming for me. So, yeah. So, uh, I sit, long story short, I sat through the service. Nothing had, uh, I was still in my addiction, you know, a very lost soul. Um, I spent another, I think, year in addiction or something like that before I found my way over to the program. So, yeah. We'll get into yeah. So, so that happens. I come out, tell you this is what forgiveness looks like in Christ. And we kind of, so, so at that moment, we, we have a restoration of our relationship, but we didn't really talk much after that. You were still in active addiction. So you wasn't reaching out to me or anything or, or, mm-hmm. or us hanging out. And I believe it was, I think probably a year, maybe even close to two years later. Um, so that was 2016. So yeah, around 2018 um, is when you wound up in the hospital and were dying. A mutual friend of ours had messaged me on Facebook and said, dude, Bryson is dying. Like legitimately his body's shutting down, his liver shutting down, the drugs and the alcohol have overtook him. Please go talk to him and, and, and see if there's anything you can do to help him. And so um, can we talk about that for just a second? So you can tell us, you know, how you got to that point and then, what happened at the hospital? Okay, so going from when I met you, when I saw you in the parking lot that day, I think I was actually in full, a full-blown heroin addiction around that time. I was actually using intravenously. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm sure, uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm gonna be real cut and dry about it. I got really yeah. bad on heroin. Right. I was using a needle to, to use, um, and uh, I actually had overdosed several times, and. The last time that I overdosed, I went to the hospital. Long story short, they were uh, 
they told me if I, if I was to use again and I overdose again, my body's not going to be able to handle it. So, mm-hmm. um, I decided, you know, I, I, I don't want to die. You know, I couldn't do that to my mama. So sure. I decided to put the heroin down, but I was still an alcoholic, man. So I picked the bottle back up just like I had never set it down. And I just, I started drinking religiously, man. I just, I, w- I would get up in the morning. And that's the first thing that I'd do is I'd go get a bottle and I would drink yeah. all day long. And I'm not talking about sipping on a beer. Yeah. I would go get hundred proof vodka and right. I would drink pint <laughs> after pint pint after pint after pint until I passed out and then I'd wake up and do it the next day seven days a week and this went on for probably a good year and a half until uh um you know it was just uh another day I got up went to the liquor store I drank my first pint of 100 proof vodka and my stomach started hurting really bad um kind of felt like food poison because I just had it not too long ago um but this didn't go away. It lasted all day. I started throwing up blood. Mm. I was just in, I was in really bad shape. So I called mom and I was like, look, you know, I don't ever call you and tell you I need to go to the hospital unless I'm in really bad shape. I was like, I need you to come get me because I need to go. Yeah. Um, so we ended up going to the hospital. Um, they start running some tests on me. And then finally the verdict comes back that, hey, if he hadn't have got brought to the hospital, he would not have woken up. Mm. He's He's got pancreatitis, but that has led to multi-organ failure so basically my liver started shutting down my kidneys started shutting down i got rushed to st thomas because they couldn't do anything at unity and um i stayed in the icu for nine days fighting for my life Mm. uh you know whenever i came out of my coma nine days later uh you know mom was just she was just broken and she looked at me i was trying to figure out what was going on because it was just like i went to the hospital and i woke up the next day i said why are you so distraught mom and they she looked at me and she was just, she was as broken as I'd ever seen her. And she, wow. she said, doctors came and told me that they didn't know if you were going to make it. Yeah. You've been in a coma for the last nine days. My goodness. So it kind of hits me. My stepdad walks in and he's really distraught. I'd never seen, you don't see my stepdad cry, but uh-huh. he came in and he was wiping tears away. So it just got, it got very real for me. I was very sad, depressed. You know, I'd done it again. Just typical failure. I just failed yet again. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at this point I'm, I'm still not in good shape. I'm not fighting for my life anymore, but they can't get my kidneys to start circulating water again. So they're trying to figure out whether to put me on dialysis or what the next step is. They're talking about sending me to Nashville because they can't do anything at St. Thomas Murfreesboro. So I'm still in really bad shape. And, um, that's when you decide to come visit. So I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit, or if you want me to go straight into it. Yeah, no, I'll just go into what, what happened. Uh, I, so I'd gotten that phone call. This is where we pick up the story. I'd gotten that phone call. I said, man, I'm going to go see him. And I came to St. Thomas. And you just go ahead and tell the rest of the story of what happened as far as when I walked in the room. Okay. So, um, yeah, basically the doctors, it's, it's the evening time. The last visit that I got from the doctors that day, they said, we're going to give you overnight to see how your kidneys are doing, how your kidney's doing, and we'll make a decision tomorrow. Whether You also need. found out you only have one kidney during all this, right? No, no, no. I knew that I had one kidney from the military. I oh, okay, okay. Some kind of issue. I think I had to get like a post-deployment checkup or anyways, but yeah, I found that out uh, several years before. But oh, okay. Um, they didn't know what to do with me. My kidney was in bad shape, so they're just trying to figure out what to do. And then, 
that night, I think it was a, what was it, a Sunday night? I'm pretty sure it was Sunday. Pretty sure it was something like that, yeah. Sunday night, uh, you know, I'm just laying there. It's dark in the room. I'm watching TV. Um, just just in a really not a good place, man. I just was depressed, and I, I was at a point of desperation that I had never been to in my life. I just – I didn't know what else to do, and I was just – I was ready for something, something different, man. And I just remember – getting a knock at the door and of all people of, <laughs> of all people that could have walked in pastor Caleb walks in and I'll and it, I'll remember it for the rest of my life like it was yesterday as soon as he stepped in the room the glory of God just fell in that hospital room I'll never forget it every time I talk about it it nearly brings me to tears mm-hmm. because I just felt I went from being so desperate in the, uh, a really bad, depressed, depressed place to just an overwhelming sense of peace, man. Yeah. That, man. You know, you can't mistake it mm-hmm. for anything other than what it is, man. The glory fell in that hospital room. And, Come on. Um, my life has never, it just, it hadn't looked the same since, you know, and he comes yeah. over, you know, we, we laugh together, we cry together, you know, we, we spend a little time catching up and then he cuts to the chase. He says, uh, he said, you know, there's a better way, man. You don't got to live like this no more. He said, mm-hmm. today can be the start of the rest of your life. So basically, uh, you know, it was that day that I decided to give my life to the Lord. Come so, on, man. <laughs> we, said, uh, we said a prayer for salvation. I, I, I got saved that day. Um, and then after that, we prayed for healing. Um, so when it's all said and done, um, Caleb leaves. Um, you know, I'm left, I'm left with a, a, a prayer. And lo and behold, if I didn't just get my salvation, I ended up walking out of the hospital three days later. Come on, I go, man. <laughs> the doctor's not knowing what to do with me. You know, we don't, we, we don't know whether to send him to Nashville. We don't know what to do. Put him on dialysis to three days later. I literally get up on my own two feet and I walk out of the hospital. Come on, man. Come and on, I man. Think we had also talked about uh, the program a little bit when I was in the hospital, I knew that yeah. you had started one up and we couldn't decide whether you, you left it on the table. You're like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it up to you. If you want to come to the program, man, it, we got an open bed. You can, you can come as soon as you get out of the hospital. And, mm-hmm. um, something about that decision just felt right. Um, you know, I, I got my salvation, but I, I was still left with this identity crisis. I, I didn't know who I was. I, you know, I, all I knew is what everybody said about me. I was a thief. I was, I was violent. I was right. a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was a failure. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ever going to amount to anything, but all of that. So right. I still had, I still had some work to do. You know, I had my salvation, but little did I know that the work had just began. So right. um, I prayed into it a little bit. Me and my family talked and we decided that it was, probably best if I go into the program. Um, yeah. It, it wasn't. And now when I say program, this is not some rehabilitation drug. We, right. I don't think we talked about <laughs> drugs one time when I was there. It had nothing to do with drugs. That problem was gone. Right. The drug issue was taken care of. Right. We took right. that to the hospital room that day. I was delivered that day. But what was left uh-huh. was, was all of these issues that I hadn't dealt with yet. This yeah. Identity. Yeah. So basically, I went to this a uh, 12 month discipleship program. And it, it's really uh, gave me a firm foundation to stand on, man. It's, it's the Lord has used this program to change my life. I, yeah. you ask any of my family members, anybody who knows me, and it's just, it's just a testimony that God's still doing it, man. It's just, 
it's incredible, bro. It's really yeah. Incredible. Come on, man. Come on. I don't know. You might not remember this. I remember, you know, we, like you said, we, we laugh, we cry together, man. I was, I was tore up seeing you like that. You know, you I had talked to your mom on the way up there. They're like, you know, it took a turn for the worse. We don't know what's going to happen. Doctors don't know what's going on. He's, he's basically dying. And so I was tore up when I seen you too. I think we both cried. We laughed a little bit. You give your life to the Lord. We pray for healing. And I remember before I walked out of that room, you said, dude, I promise you, if I get out of this, if I get out of this hospital, I will be at your program the day that I get out of the hospital. <laughs> you, you was a little bit out of it still, man. So you might not remember that, but you guaranteed it right then and there. You're like, I am there. And man, you, you held your end of the bargain, brother. I mean, you was the day that they had released you from the hospital. I don't remember if you stay with your parents one night or whatnot, but I just know it was pretty much immediately that you had checked into the program and the rest is history. You just graduated um, two weeks ago. So spent 12 months in the program and uh, you know, God has done an incredible, incredible work in your life, man. So as we're wrapping this thing up, you know, um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, man, and, and what God has, has blessed you with in your life and, and how life is going now upon your graduation of BTB. You know, I tell you guys all the time that was our students and now you're a staff member of BTB mm -hmm. and have come on and is helping the next guys in the program. Um, but you know, our program in third phase, it's all about helping guys get on their feet. I'm not in the business of handing somebody a certificate and saying, man, you completed a 12 month program. Good job. Good luck. We want to empower people. We want to set people up for their future. And um, that's what we were able to do with Bryson along with his work ethic, along with his um, mentality of going out there and getting after it and being a man of God of integrity and character. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now these days, Bryson. So uh, in my obedience, um, the Lord's blessed me with not one business, but two. Come on, man. <laughs> this, this, all this kind of started to unfold while I was in the program, while I was finishing up phase three. Um, Caleb gives us the option to kind of take on a little bit more work in phase three and earn a little bit of cash. Well, little did he know that the Lord had already planted this seed that was about to just just come to fruition and explode, man. So yeah, man. I met... Uh, I'm sure he don't mind me dropping his name. I met the, uh, the I guess, the main shop manager at the time when I came into the program, Danny. Yeah. Um, yep. Entrepreneur. He actually went through the, the program with Caleb. Yeah. Was it in Fredericksburg? Yeah. Me and Danny, who was, you know, when we first started Be the Bush Recovery Ministries, Danny was the first staff member that I brought on with me. We went through Teen Challenge of Fredericksburg, Virginia together. And then he came on and started helping me in 2018. And while Bryson was in the program, you and Danny got pretty close and connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he, so he was at the shop quite a bit. I think he had three or four shifts during the week. Well, I was always at the shop, too. I love the shop. That <laughs> right. I, I told Caleb from the beginning that Jehovah Java, man, I, I, my heart will always be in that shop, that coffee shop. So I got to spend a lot of time with Danny and build a relationship. And uh, we kind of, in, the, in our downtime, shared some of our ideas and just some of our dreams and ambitions. And uh, little did I know that the Lord was empowering me each and every day to kind of walk in this and, and proclaim this stuff. So I've always, uh, you know, I've always loved cooking, man. I like eating. If y'all see me, y'all understand. <laughs> this dude eats 17 meals a day, folks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't miss too many meals, man. He's 6'5", 270-pound monster, so that's why he has to eat like that. <laughs> right, right. And I, I remember calling mom when I was young. She was at work. She was, uh, you know, trying to provide for me and my three sisters. And I'd call her, and I'd be like, hey, mom, uh, I'm hungry. She said, well, you know where the food is. You know where the stove is. Figure it out. Don't burn the house down. <laughs> so I started cooking at a very young age, and I was very passionate about it. To me, it was kind of a it was an art, a way to express myself. You know, I like mm -hmm. serving somebody something and them being like, wow, this is really good. I've never tasted anything like this. So it's always mm -hmm. kind of been a passion right up there next to, you know, uh, working out and baseball and all that. So, uh, you know, I, I started kind of prepping meals for Danny while I was in the program. He said, man, I, he said, I like to eat healthy. I just don't got the time to do it. I said, well, look, I'll start prepping your food for you. You know, you just give me the food, I'll prep it, let me cook me a meal out of it, and we'll call it even. Right, so he started right. getting me food, and um, we kind of, we, we just got to brainstorm, was like, hey, man, we should we should start a, a business, a meal prep company. Right, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I started really pushing it on him, and he, he'll tell you to this day, he thought it was the craziest idea, it'll never work, the profit ain't going to be there. <laughs> but it's uh, it's really taken a... Uh, man, it, it's, it's, it's flourished, man. You know, that's, yeah. that's just a testimony of being obedient to God. And let me say, I'll say that to say this, um, about five or six months into the program, I kind of hit this wall where the enemy got into my head and he was kind of telling me these things, Hey, you're good. You've been there for five months going on six months. You're good. You can get back out there, man. You, right. Right. You're, you're better than this. Go get out there and go do something with your life, man. You're just sitting here dormant. You're wasting your life away. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the satan's the author of the seat he's a right. he's a liar so come on i literally had my bags packed and sitting next to the front door mom was on her way to come get me because i'd made my mind up i'm leaving mm -hmm. so i remember yeah. walks in and uh forgive me for this man but i can't really exactly remember what you said that day it was you and jason and Emin. all i remember is i was kind of in prayer and you know i i, I asked myself in my head while you were talking to me, I said, well, what if I stay? I remember saying that to myself and I got uh -huh. this. the Holy spirit, man, just gave me so much peace and comfort. And that's when I stopped you right in your tracks. I was like, look, I'm going to stay. You don't got to say nothing else. Yeah, I, I, to nothing, but I needed to go ahead and say that before I changed my mind and thought on it. Too yeah. Much. Right. Right. And so there was no, uh, there was no talks of any businesses or milk prep companies or anything like that at this time. And literally a week or two after that I decided to stay and I overcame quit that day, the Lord dropped these blessings in my lap. He said, here you go. You overcame quit. Watch what I'm going to do for you. Thanks for your, this is me. This is what I do for you. Right. So, um, yeah, man. And we've kind of started a nutrition shop as well. Uh, Mission Nutrition was not originally part of Jehovah Java, but mm -hmm. uh, we decided that it'd probably be a good idea to open up a nutrition shop inside of the coffee shop and it's done really well. We do shakes and uh, healthy energy teas there. Shout out mission nutrition. Come by and see Come it. on somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to thinking, I was like, man, I really enjoy doing this. Uh, maybe I could open up a shop. So, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, quite, and so it is, you know, so yeah. we're opening a nutrition shop, but I'm not, I'm not doing any of that for this. I'm just, I'm just telling you less than a month ago, I was dying and now I'm a multi-business owner and that's yeah. nothing that I did. That's, that's what he did. That's what God right. did. The only thing I did was land myself in a hospital bed, land myself in uh, addiction, land myself with multiple overdoses, stealing yeah. from people. But Come once on. I stepped into 
of God, he started doing these things in my life, man. Yeah, and man. Right, man. I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good, man. I'm telling you, this this guy got some preach on him. I'm trying to get him into a ministry school. We're going to get, we're going to turn him loose preaching, man. But I mean, that's incredible. I mean, like you said, you go from one year ago to being in a hospital bed, literally dying to one year later being a multi business owner two businesses that you're co-owner with and operating and running mm -hmm. and what you're saying i'm echoing what you're saying it ain't for a pat on the back it's yeah. a testimony to what the power of god can do when you truly surrender your life over to him and say yes to jesus and no to the world i'm not saying that the moment you say yes to jesus all your problems are going to go away and that you're never going to have an issue again because that's not the fact either right we we walk through things as christians but man when you are faithful and you got perseverance i feel some preach coming on me right now bryson man sorry brother but <laughs> like ruth i mean you think about think about the story of ruth she shows perseverance and she she shows faithfulness which is what you showed in the program five months you're talking about leaving got your bags packed but you you unpack the bags you stay you show faithfulness you show perseverance at that moment and ruth she shows faithfulness and perseverance and she goes from being a beggar in the field to owning the field come on somebody man that's how Ooh, our god works and good. um you know god is just so good bryson man i love you brother man i'm super proud of you I don't think I could tell you that enough, and I'm just excited to continue to walk with you um, as your friend, brother in Christ, and and just see what God continues to do. I just encourage you, man, continue to be faithful, continue to do what God's called you to do. And one of our main purposes of today, me and Bryson talked about this before we got on the on the show today, but we just want to encourage some some folks with our testimony of forgiveness and restoration, like forgiveness. Let forgiveness reign in your life and let love prevail. It is so much freedom can come upon you in your life. If you'll just forgive people, you understand forgiveness isn't always necessarily about that person. It's about you. I could never, I could never be free from bitterness and, and seeds of discord, anger and hate and all those things until I actually forgave Bryson. And then Bryson forgave me. By the way, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is an action. Come on. Amen. Forgiveness on. is not, you don't have to feel like forgiving somebody, but you'll know that you have forgiven them by the way that you treat them and the way that you think about them. Amen. And so I just Amen. want to encourage our listeners today, um, you know, let forgiveness reign in your life. Let love prevail and watch what God will do in your life. Bryson, man, thank you so much. For coming on to the show today yeah man just i just want to touch on that forgiveness thing and i'm not saying this was the, the, the sole thing that that changed me or, or catapulted me but i knew that something was different with caleb i knew something had changed for him to be able to come up to me give me a hug and tell me what the lord had done for him so i knew when he walked in the hospital room that he he wasn't coming as Caleb. He was coming to talk about Jesus. And I knew that something was different with him. And I'm not saying that that, that alone is, is what, what changed me, but I'm just, right. I'm saying that to say this, forgive somebody and watch it change their life. Yes, man. Come on. Come on, man. You could say that again. Say it again. I said, forgive somebody and watch it change their life. Yeah, man. Come on, man. That's
that's that's incredible uh as we as we close out the show today like my brother bryson said forgive somebody and watch it change their life when you operate as christ christ was on a cross letting people murder him could have called ten thousand legions of angels to come save him and he says father forgive them for they know not what they do we as christians are imitators of christ we're supposed to our life is supposed to look like him we're supposed to love like him we're supposed to forgive like him so understand we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities powers rulers and authorities in the air and so you know it's not the person that's your problem it's the spirit that's behind the person that is your enemy so we just want to encourage you today if you've got somebody that you need to go talk to and say, you know what, I have wronged you and I am asking for forgiveness, do that. If you are needing to forgive somebody, they've wronged you, they've done something to you that has scarred you, I just want to let you know, forgive them and watch the Holy Spirit of God intervene into your situation and watch healing come. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast show today. Hope you guys tune in next week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Recovery to Recover podcast. If you like what you heard today, visit BeTheBushMinistries.com or MiriamHouse.com to become a monthly partner or for more info about our ministry and what we are accomplishing for the kingdom of God. You can also follow me on Facebook at Caleb McCall or on Instagram at Pastor Caleb Mack. See you next week.